Tuesday morning broadcast, Dr. Stuart Ditchick has been uh, very outspoken and on the front lines in this whole coronavirus situation, especially as it relates to our community. Uh, he's an amazing doctor, world-renowned pediatrician, founder of uh, Kids of Courage, author. You want to look up his credentials, go ahead. <laughs> You'll find them all over the uh, internet. For us, he's uh, somebody who's an important voice in the Jewish community, especially whenever we have a a medical situation, but uh, especially now during this coronavirus uh, epidemic, pandemic. Dr. Stuart Ditchick, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thanks, Nachum. My mother thanks you greatly. <laughs> she likes the <laughs> intro, huh? Um, well, uh, let's start with this. You have been um, extremely vocal, rightfully so, about um, uh, gatherings that uh, you would deem and the uh, federal guidelines would deem and uh, the World Health Organization would deem inappropriate, whether it be uh, the weddings that may have been going on in our community, Minyanim, certainly. Uh, first of all, do you, do you know... Based, Still are going Yeah, on. that's what yeah. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask, do you know if people have finally decided to adhere to the rules or not? You know, we are, it's getting... Better every day, Baruch Hashem. I I, I think you know I, I've never, as you know, I've never been a social media person, right. but in the last uh, ten days, I I've been able to get the word out uh, to communities about how to deal uh, with non-compliance in you know in peaceful but yet firm ways, uh, and I get messages from all over the country at this point. From uh, right now, we're dealing with primarily the New York, New Jersey area. That's where the epicenter is. Uh, but there is, this morning I have in my email box and my uh, instant message box on Facebook, I now have 11 notifications of shuls that are still open, of large gatherings, minyanim. Uh, there was some big weddings last night. Again, uh, uh, there was one that had to be shut down in Tom's River, I heard. I wasn't involved in that. Uh, Flatbush, we had tents going up uh, this weekend. Borough Park, there's a wedding at Pupa last night with large numbers of people, I was told. I hope it was broken up. Uh, you know, so this is where I don't have time at this point to deal with these individual situations, quite frankly. I'm dealing with critically ill patients right now and seriously ill patients. So it's unfair to ask of me to do that. So what I've been asking people on social media is to empower as communities and shut these places down. Go to the leaders, go to the Rabbanim who are involved with those shuls or those individuals. You know, yesterday I got reports, and, and this was shocking, <clears throat> that in Borough Park, they, people were accessing, because it was raining outside, and they couldn't do outdoor minyanim, they were accessing ATM machine indoor areas and, and utilizing them for minyanim so they could put their tefillin on the table. <laughs> Folks, I can't say this any further. If you daven with a minion right now, you're committing an avera. You are committing a sin by davening with a minion. Don't you understand that? That's such a critical message right now. And we have to get that message to our brothers. All the rabbanim, all the gedolim have paskined at this point. And we didn't need them to paskin. We, we needed to act quickly in this case because the, many of the rabbanim agreed with this early on. You need to listen right now. When you daven with a minion, you have a great likelihood because you spend a significant amount of time together. Uh, you may get coughed on. You may touch a surface which has a COVID droplet on it. And then you're going to bring the infection to somebody else. Who'll bring it to somebody else? And then grandma or grandpa gets COVID and they end up in the ICU with an 18 or 14 or 13% chance of dying. 
we're dealing with dying patients this morning. I, I can't even impress on you. I just spoke with an ICU nurse at one of the major hospitals in the city, and it's dramatic. I mean, there are terrible things going on that we need to address right now. You know, but we I, need, before we I need I, to lock it down. I want to go to to obviously we have to go to that topic, and I want you to to report to us what you know on that topic. But I just want, I want to close out the first thing for a second. You know, I I, I know of people who were at illegal minyanim this past Shabbos. Forget about the weekdays for a second, mm-hmm. but obviously Shabbos people feel you know that that mm-hmm. they that they even to a greater degree have to violate the law and violate halacha. Um, and I said to this person, you know, he has a whole bunch of kids at home. I said, don't you care about your children? Don't you care that you may bring back into your home this this deadly disease? Right. And, and, and sometimes, the, the, yeah. and you know, the important thing, though, when you say that, it, fortunate, thank God, Baruch Hashem, Hashem is watching over our children because overall children don't get terribly sick from this, right, if, unless they're a high-risk child. But Baruch Hashem, they don't. But that child can now pass it on innocently to somebody else. Like their grandparents. Yeah. Correct, correct. That's the point. And I have more news for you. It's more likely that the father will end up in the hospital. We're right. seeing large numbers of young people, 30 to 60. We did not expect that age group to be hospitalized as much as we're seeing in, in our experience. Our experience is different than China. It's different than South Korea. It's different than Italy. We have different demographics. We're a bigger country. We're a different country culturally. So we're seeing different issues than each of the countries has seen. Spain right now is a repeat of Italy. They're seeing different issues. So it's important that what you're telling that person is 100% correct. And I, I can't impress upon By people. By the way, enough. one other thing I want to mention on that topic, the I'm sorry for interrupting, but um, you know, I, I went back to my emails to see when it happened. Most of the major schools in this country that closed closed on Friday, the 13th of March. Do you know how much more of a risk everybody would be at if, God forbid, those schools would have been open that Shabbos? Nahum, I put out, as you know, uh, a very public statement begging people not to have Purim parties, uh, not to have um, Purim Su'udas with anything other than immediate family. Do you remember it was published publicly? Yeah. I put it out publicly. I was ridiculed, ridiculed by not only um, Rabbanim and community members, but I was ridiculed by uh, some physicians who actually said, what do you mean, Purim? Everybody gets together Purim. Right now, we're seeing I have a critical patient in the hospital, a father, who was exposed on Purim. We, we tracked down the exact exposure. Two, weeks, Purim, a, two weeks ago today. Yeah, uh, at a Purim uh, yeah, at a Purim party, actually, yeah. uh, on McGill and Knight. And we're now seeing large number of cases that were exposed on Purim. So f- for the sake of God, please listen to what we're telling you. The doctors, the experts know what they're talking about here. You know, there's debate we'll talk about later. There's debate between President Trump and the econ- economists and the doctors right now. We have to address that as well shortly. I um, I heard from a father, a, a college friend of mine, so imagine how long we know each other, uh, on Sunday who was calling me to tell me how horrified he is that his son is in the yeshiva in Yerushalayim that, that had on Sunday, I don't know what's happening today, still 400 guys studying in the Beit Midrash uh, during the day. And and he, and he begged his son to get out of there. And, uh, you know, and, and by the way, the posake for the Rosh Hashiva of that yeshiva, at least according to his father, and he was told this by his sons, I'm assuming it's somewhat accurate, 
the posek has told the entire world to shut down every shul and yeshiva. But the Rosh Hashiva supposedly that went to that, this is the excuse he uses, went to that posek and asked specifically for his case. And he said, okay, if you want to keep it open, you can keep it open. Like people are, so, make, are making it up as they go along. So this is why, and this discussion should take place after the pandemic, once life normalizes. But let me tell you, I, I'm going to be open. You know, I always speak openly. This time, I think I've spoken more openly than, than most. There's been an abdication of leadership in the firm community. We have to face that. Um, there was an abdication of leadership at the most critical juncture in our Jewish history currently. That abdication of leadership, I will address personally. <clears throat> I don't know if they'll listen, but every gadol I have ever dealt with in my career, and I can go down the line, Rav David Kohn, Rav Wozner, Rav Gavriel Tsinner, I mean, every Rav David Feinstein, years, over the years, all the poskim I've ever dealt with, and I've dealt with almost all, uh, Rav Shlomo Zalman Orbach years ago on genetic issues, every posek I ever met with asked me extremely intrusive questions about the Shiloh, mulled over the Shiloh for sometimes hours or days, and would come back to me and with further questions and further questions. And at the end of the day, 99% of the time, the POSIC agreed that the medical opinion was the overriding correct opinion. So we need to go back to that system again. We cannot have a system now where we have VADs of Rabbanim who override physicians. And this, this started with the anti-vaccine movement. I'm sorry to bring it up. When the va anti-vaccine movement got certain Rabbanim to stand up and say, yeah, it's okay to allow unvaccinated kids in school during an epidemic, that should have been the red flag that now yeah. we, have a, we have a division between Dastor and medical opinion. And, and again, I'm a novice when it comes to this, but traditionally, at least the way I was taught growing up, you know, doctor versus rabbi on medical issues, eating Yom Kippur, et cetera, et cetera, usually defer to the doctor. You know, I sit every year with Rav, Rav Gavriel Tzinner, the Nite Gavriel, well-known posek and, and Mechaber of the Nite Gavriel, beautiful person. And I sit with him every year, Erev Yom Kippur. We take phone calls and faxes from all over the world on medical shilas and fasting and halachic shilas. Ninety-nine percent of the shilas he turns to me or the, any other doctors he uses for this conference, and he says, tell me what you think. And then he poskins. That's Das Torah when it comes to medical issues. Right. Dr. Stuart Ditchick's with us. All right, tell us, it is now Tuesday morning here in the New York area. Give us the update as to what's happening. I did notice that, that some hospitals already are expanding, whether it means building their own tents or, or uh, asking, asking the government for facilities that they could use to expand their operation. But what's the reality? What's the truth about what's happening out there? So let me, let me address two parts of that reality. Number one, Baruch Hashem, the federal government is now kicking in big time in New York with supplies, God willing, in the next few days uh, for personal protective equipment. They are building four very large field hospitals, one of them at the Javits Center, as you know. Uh, the National Guard is assembling them as we speak. They will be sophisticated hospitals that will be able to unload, in many cases, the local hospitals. In other words, they may not necessarily have to take care of all COVID patients there. Uh, they may take care of other patients who need care so that the more sick COVID patients can be in the hospitals. Uh, so that's number one. Thank God for the federal government doing that. Uh, many hospitals, i.e. Maimonides uh, here in Brooklyn, have set up 
alternative buildings where they're adding beds and staff. And Maimonides did prepare very well for this. I have to give them credit. Nice. Uh, so, you know, hospitals are doing that. They're restructuring uh, uh, hospitals completely. They're making floors that were previously used for other purposes now being used for COVID patients or to move regular patients there and let the we have to remember that during this crisis it's not only covid patients that need care you still have people having heart attacks you still have people having strokes you still have people who have infections who need other care so hospitals are retooling their own systems um, i will tell you that there's help on the way on the ventilator front we're trying very hard i'm personally involved with a project now i can't release publicly that information but uh, we're uh, currently just awaiting our federal approval. Uh, the uh, federal government has given a process to groups who are able to fix certain problems, uh, and I'm part of a group um, that is now working on the ventilator issue, my task force team that I've been part of the last three weeks. So I don't want to talk about that publicly yet because I don't want to give a false impression. We're working on it uh, currently, and actually my next two weeks. That's my primary focus right now. Because there's um, so many patients that are going to need those ventilators. They are needing them already. We're seeing, I have a father in my practice who was intubated in the last 36 hours. We're seeing a huge amount of ventilator demand. We are somewhat running out of ventilators at certain facilities, but help is on the way. The United States government is now building new ventilators through private industry. Uh, there's a lot of ventilator projects going on right now. It's dramatic. It's on the level of how many tanks and uh, weapons they had to build during World War II to defeat the Nazis. That's the level of the, of the national movement now in the private sector. Wow. Um, what I do want to comment on, and it's important, and I want everybody to hear this clearly. Uh, <clears throat> I was asked uh, last week, uh, days ago, by uh, the community here in Brooklyn, a community who was amazing, by the way, who've complied completely, their primary my practice. Right, Dr. Dietrich, the, the phone is breaking up. I don't know if it's a, if it's a cell phone or no, what. I, no, I'm on a regular line. You hear me? Okay, now we hear you. Go ahead. So I was asked by members of the Spartan community about 10 days ago if I would consider heading up building a field hospital here in Brooklyn. Wait, who are, you, who are you just praising? Who are you saying? Oh, the Spartan community. Okay. The Spartan community in Brooklyn, I have to tell you, uh, at the beginning, there was a little rocky road with some elements. Right now, they are the most compliant community in the United States other than Teaneck and New Rochelle. They're very good. They've been locked down, and they've been following uh, all the directives. They're, they're really, they, they've, they've done this beautifully. Okay. They came to me. They said, we want to build a field hospital in the case that we need more beds, more ventilators. I told them, every resource you take away from the hospitals to do that, whether it's ventilators or staff, uh, is going to create tremendous amount of animosity, number one. Right. Number two, it's not pragmatic because every critical patient, you don't just put them on a ventilator and walk away. Every critical patient needs minute-to-minute -minute care. And if you take those resources away from the hospital, uh, you're going to hurt other people. So they made a smart decision not to do it. Yesterday I was sent a video. I was told of a group in the five towns or Queens that was trying to build a field hospital in Sharyashov, and the state is, uh, they had gotten a lawyer, and I'd spoken to a number of them uh, initially. I spoke to Rabbi Heshi Billet about it. He was opposed to it, as most people are. Uh, you can't just put up field hospitals. You can't just take care. We're here to take care of the Klal, and we can't take away resources from 
other hospitals. We can't take away resources from where they belong. We're not going to abandon patients. It's not going to happen. The Jewish world will never do that. But putting up our own field hospitals without approvals that come from the federal government and the state level is inappropriate. Wow. Yesterday I was sent a video. It was verified that Shar Yashiv, that individual, started throwing up electrical boxes and put manpower in beds, and, and they were shut down. I am told they were shut down by the government, that it was immediately stopped. Please, folks, we're going to co- kill Jews with anti-Semitism than we will with coronavirus if we do the wrong thing. Right now. Uh, I, I wish I wish I wish I wish your phone would not have broken up on that one. It sounded like you said we're going to kill more Jews, God forbid, with anti-Semitism than with the coronavirus. Yes, and you quote me on that. That is direct, and I believe it a hundred percent. You know who's saving the United States right now? Let me hear. Leaders in Israel, Teva Pharmaceuticals, the generic drug maker, uh, just shipped last week. I'm told ten million hydroxychloroquine tablets to the United States. It was donated to the federal government. The feds are stockpiling it and will distribute it when, it, when it's really in need. <clears throat> the Israeli government, the Israeli hospitals have sent me data on, and I published it, I put it out on social media, early data of their experience with critically ill patients. Well, what is, what is it? Is it why, why are we waiting to distribute it if, if, if this is in fact a medication that's going to help these uh, victims? Mm-hmm. Number one, we don't know that this medicine is appropriate to use in large numbers yet. Mm. So the CDC is appropriately uh, doing very rapid live studies right now. That One of them is going on at Columbia, as we speak, Columbia Presbyterian. They're doing large live studies, which means we're studying it as the patients are getting sick to see if it's safe. It is not a drug that is without side effects. There are side effects. There are people who will have bad outcomes from being on the drug, mm. so we need to make sure. I happen to be utilizing the drug right now for my highest-risk patients when they're sick with coronavirus. However, who's at the forefront of getting millions of doses to the United States? Israel. Right. Yeah. Who's sending so. us information? Every country is sending us information now, but the Israelis have our back, and we have theirs. Dr. Stuart Dietrich is with us. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, on the web, and NachumSegal.com, and the NachumSegal Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. I interrupted you. What's your final thought on that? My final thought is let's do the right thing. We have No, no, you, I meant on that specific topic. You said Israel's cooperating by sending data. and So I- Israel is doing the right thing. They're locking the country down. Right. They're doing the best they can. But at the end of the day, the solution for coronavirus will come from the great minds and the great clinicians and the great members of the Jewish community worldwide. And we're going to beat this thing as a community, and we're going to beat it for our country because I want people to admire what the Jews have done for this crisis. Do you also sit and wonder in the in the few moments that you have to sit and wonder during the day or night maybe how long this is going to last? You just mentioned Israel is locked down. We know what's going on here. I mean, you know, many of us regular people, Dr. Dietrich, <laughs> unlike unlike the heroes like yourself, many of us Not regular people, many of us regular people keep thinking you know, with specific benchmarks, you know, we can do this for another week. We we could probably do this through Pesach because of the way, you know, the calendar falls and, you know, everyone else already mentally preparing for a much different type of Pesach. And frankly, most people don't work, you know, the entire holiday of Pesach. So it's not like it would be an unusual situation. But, but do you sometimes wonder 
both here and in Israel, how long this needs to go on in order to be completely effective? Right now, the data that we have, both from the work group that I've been part of with the, Dr. James Lawler, who, who set up most of the models that the CDC is using or has used, <clears throat> most of the data uh, indicates that we need to lock the slower this thing happens, the more critical patients will be able to care for on a case-by-case basis. Dr. Dietrich, i I got to ask you a favor. If you could just reconnect with us. I'm not sure what the problem is with the phone line, but you're saying so many important things. I don't want to lose it. If you could just reconnect with us, that would be amazing. And we'll wait here for a moment as we reconnect with Dr. Stuart Dietrich. We're talking, obviously, about coronavirus with very important updates. An uplifting word from Dr. Dietrich about how people in our community, both in Israel and uh, it seems in the United States as well, are at the forefront of this whole effort. Go right ahead, Doc. Hi. Nahum, do you hear me now? Now we hear you. Go right ahead. Okay. If we are very fortunate, uh, you know, the data of the working group that I've been working with, Dr. James Lawler, his model shows that if we allow this thing to accelerate quickly, many more lives will be lost. We need to drag this, this infection out to the best that we can with the non-pharmaceutical interventions of social distancing. We need to drag this thing out from weeks to months. And what that means is that we need to be on the current recommendations if we're fortunate and they do work, and we don't know yet if they will. But we need to be on it right now for, in my opinion, for a minimum of four to six weeks, in my opinion. Uh, if we're lucky, this whole thing will slowly go through our communities and our states over about a 9 to 10, 12-week period. If we're lucky, if God is good to us, this will be a 9 to 12-week event in the United States. If we're unlucky, it'll be a 3 to 6-week event, in which case we will lose million, not million, well, we could lose over a million lives or more if it's a 3 to 6-week event. So the projections, the numbers are dramatic based on how quickly this thing goes through. Normally, we want things to be over quickly, right? There's a fire in your kitchen. Sure. You want to put the hose on it? Put it out quickly. Here, we want it to simmer and smoke for many weeks and weeks so we can gradually handle the ICU patients who show up who need critical care ventilators in the hospital. But the, That but, is why right. yeah. the comment by the president last night, I think, was directed to give optimism to the stock market, but not the doctors who, who, are, who, who are running this at the head of the task force. They know the truth. The truth is we need to keep people indoors right now. We need to let them go out shopping, let them go out to the drugstore, but otherwise you stay inside. The economy will suffer, but it will recover. If we lose a million people or two million people, God forbid, in the United States, we will never recover from that. It'll take us years, right? Generation. But by the same token, I have seen you know economists say that if you let this go on under you know close to current circumstances for three months, the economy will never recover. So you know there has to be, and I think this is where again you know the president was trying. I don't think he did too good of a job, but was trying I think to express that balance that we have to you know be vigilant on the medical side, but we also have to be realistic in terms of reopening on the economic side. Now, but based on what you just told, Correct. based on what and, you... And I trust that the president will follow 
the medical advisors and his economic advisors. I trust the president. Oh, I, I would bet. I would bet that the two sides are going head-to-head with each other every single day in the White House. I would they bet. Are. And I do trust President Trump will do the right thing. But let me. I, I but, we, but, we but, but based on, and I know that it's you know the twenty fourth of March, and I know that you know we have a long. <laughs> this is going to change twelve times in the next twenty four hours. I know that. But based on what you're saying, you know my my scenario that I'm painting, of you know people, I think mentally and hopefully economically can make it. Let's say through Pesach, for argument's sake, you know, if most people could do that, please God in our community. The way you're presenting it, you know, things might be loosened extensively by May 1st. It's possible that that. You know, I, I think that would be. Uh, uh, well, I was going to say I think that would be a mistake, but let me tell you what I really feel. I feel that it needs to be reassessed every 12 to 15 days based on data. Right. What the mistake that every clinician and epidemiologist is fearing is that if our interventions work and we see a decrease in the rate of the number of cases, uh, then everybody's going to jump back in the pool and we'll see a resurgence and we'll go through another round of loss of life. That's the fear. So I think we have to calm down, reassess every two weeks or so, and let the experts tell us what the right thing to do is every two weeks. All I right. think that's the correct approach now, now t- rather than, hey, guys, we're going to be back in the pool on May 1st. Right. I don't think that's correct. What I, I will say, just so people know as well, I don't think in New York, unless something positive changes super dramatically, I do not think there will be summer camps this summer. Uh, I'm told that Sullivan County has with, already withdrawn all summer camp permits this summer. That's what I've been told by some state officials. That's the correct thing to do right now, uh, because if we reopen camps before this crisis is over, we'll get a rebound again and large numbers of deaths. Well, I, I mean, look, on the, on the summer camp thing, and believe me, you know, you, know, you, you know where my sympathies lie when it comes to the topic of summer camp. Uh, but I basically have told you know, certain directors, I've said, you know, you don't have to make this decision. The state's going to make it for you. So it's not Correct. like, you know, unlike the Pesach programs, which for a while – People had to make their own decision. Obviously, in the end, we know what happened. But unlike well, you know what happened there is, I put that statement out weeks ago that people need need to make alternative plans for Pesach. I have to tell you, I, I don't think I've ever gotten. I, I don't think I'm going to be a speaker at any Pesach program. <laughs> <laughs> that I believe. I could name a million other places you're not going to be invited to. Don't worry. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, we'll go down the line someday. But I but my days but of but, in, speaking but outside it, this are over. But in all <laughs> but in all seriousness, a camp director doesn't have to struggle with what should I do. The decision is going no. to be made for them, and then they, of course they have to adjust. And uh, and yeah, it's, and, it's, and the it's, state will not tolerate any violations of that as well. Oh, of course know. not. And, and they, by the way, even community wide, they would not. Be, I don't. I would hope they wouldn't get away with the violation of that anyway. But look, look, we got to get to the most important topic: our brothers and sisters. You're on the front lines. That we see the numbers skyrocketing in New York. Does that? And remember, I'm isolated. Everyone thinks I'm in the know because you know I'm speaking to thousands of people every day. Somewhat, I'm somewhat isolated in hearing the same news everyone else is. Are the numbers climbing like crazy? Does that re- and I'm I'm not talking about now you know blame I'm simply concerned uh, are, are 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 the yes, num- the, are the numbers, numbers are so high because because of our community I'm sorry are they, I didn't hear the last are question. the numbers are they... climbing in New York because our community's numbers are climbing like crazy Well look either way if if we did the right thing throughout the entire Jewish community in New York our numbers would still be climbing because 
we have a larger population density. That's why the measles crisis was worse by us. That's why mumps was worse by us. We have larger, we have closer contact, daily minyanim, chavrusas, davening schools that are more crowded, and, and people who live in many more numbers in apartments. And, wedi- so, and weddings every night. And weddings every night. So our population density puts us at risk. And by the way, that's why I was asked by my task force to present the data early to the Jewish community uh, almost three weeks ago. Because, I don't even remember how, maybe two weeks. I don't remember it. I'm so exhausted. They wanted it presented to the Brooklyn community because they knew Brooklyn was going to be an epicenter, and it right. is the epicenter. Right. So, yes, we are at greater risk, and the numbers are climbing. What we're struggling with right now is the Williamsburg and Borough Park communities. Uh, they are overall, many of them are complying, but nowhere near the numbers we need. The streets are crowded. There are people lined up. The other day, there were pictures of people lined up in shoe stores. One on top of the other, kids, women in strollers piled knee-high everywhere. Borough Park and Williamsburg need to lock things down. We are seeing huge numbers. And by the way, in those places, people are running for tests who don't need to get tested. So the numbers look even higher from those communities. That's why they've drawn the attention of the federal and state government, because we're seeing huge numbers in those areas, because a lot of those clinics are inappropriately testing non-critically sick people. And getting positive so, results from people who are not symptomatic. Correct. And, and by the way, 98-plus percent of people who get this infection will fly through it, Baruch Hashem, no problem. But so what, but what, but once the, the numbers com- are high but once the, the numbers being high. But once the, we care to protect the ones most vulnerable. But once the neighborhoods, and I hate to be, you know, I hate to say it like this, but once those neighborhoods that you cite, or any neighborhood in this country that's not you know, paying attention, once they see people literally start to drop dead, don't you think that will be a wake-up call? Nachum, they're, they're dropping dead already, unfortunately, and they don't seem to be listening. They are stubborn. I spoke to many leaders the last week. Uh, I've gotten minimal attention. Some of them literally scorn when I, when I call them. Yeah, you're overblowing it. Eh, Nishkafelet is not a big deal. Yeah, it's not a big deal for 98% of the people. It's a huge deal for the for the small number who will die, uh, small numbers who are going to end up in the hospital, meaning the one to two percent, right. and and many of those will end up on ventilators. So, I'm telling you, there's a certain lack of leadership in those communities. Uh, there's a population that's stubborn, and I have to tell you, I I I, I am just thoroughly frustrated. As is the health department. Uh, you know, I'm very close with members of the health department. Certain uh, the assistant commissioner. I've been on the phone uh, with the health department every day, and they're shocked at what they're seeing. They're sending enforcement officers. Uh, Yesterday, there was a tent put up in Williamsburg for good intent. They put up uh, intention. They put up a tent for distribution of Pesach foods. Beautiful, right? We want people to get food. Yeah, of course. So what did people do? As soon as it started raining, minyanim, rolling minyanim started occurring in the tent. There were minyanim going on in the morning. The health department, I'm told, had to send enforcement officers down there. Why are we doing that? Are we are we just not realistic? I don't know. I can't answer it. The numbers are exploding in New York, yes. People who are staying away from it, who are high-riskers, are doing fine because they're locked up, the old folks and the high-riskers. However, that is going to change as the numbers expand and more and more people get infected. If today is, is if today is like yesterday, how many people in our community are going to go to the hospital today? 
I, I can't answer that question. What I can tell you is that we're seeing more and more ending up on ventilators. Uh, more and more. Last night, because that's, that's when they call you. That's when they call you. That's when they call you in desperation. A thirty-five-year-old with minimal risk factors uh, to Methodist Hospital intubated. Uh, there's. We are seeing more and more of those young, healthy, thirty to sixty, ending up on ventilators now. And there is a risk that we may have underestimated the uh, the exact age. If you see, doctor, I. I think the pronunciation is Dr. Bix, one of the people, doctors heading the task force. Yeah. She was saying last night, she was focusing on seniors and right. maybe we're not going to see as many young people. I, I disagree with her. Locally here in Brooklyn at the epicenter, we're seeing more young people in the 30 to 60 range that are ending up on ventilators. And that's true in Lakewood as well, where they've now had a spike of cases. Well, Lakewood also non-compliant uh, in many instances, totally non-compliant with the directives. Lakewood has now seen a spike, and we've seen a significant number of young people intubated in Lakewood. couple of halachalamaisa questions, if I may. Yes. This listener says that clinics cannot test for COVID-19. Is that true or false? Who says that? I'm sorry? A listener of mine says clinics cannot test for COVID-19. Is that true or false? Anybody can test for COVID-19 if you have the swab and the viral preservative. However, Oh, yeah, go ahead. Meaning you can send it to commercial labs such as uh, Quest or AccuReference uh, or LabCorp, here's the problem. So many people who don't need to be tested, the number one question I've gotten, even from my patients who are well-informed, is do I need to get that? Do I need to get tested over and over? The answer is no. You don't need to get tested. If you have the symptoms, you likely have the infection, isolate yourself. What's happening with the testing program is that now that the commercial labs have been overwhelmed with requests for tests, the patients who need testing have a delay in turnaround time. I sent the swab on a very important, I already started the patient on treatment, but I, I needed to figure out some issues with contacts. I sent the swab last week on a patient. It's now day six, and I still don't have a result. And I was told initially 48 hours, they said the reason for the delay is that the government has correctly, the state has told labs to prioritize tests on hospital patients and those reagents and all those other uh, things that are needed are focusing on the sickest patients for testing now. So by people clogging the system, by local clinics here in Brooklyn setting up pop-up tents for walk-ins for people to just walk in and get tested, they're hurting their brethren. Understand you don't need to get tested in routine situations. Don't get tested unless it is absolutely indicated and as far as I'm concerned, the only people who need to be tested right now are very sick people who show up in the hospital and are likely to be admitted. And let me just add why they have to be tested. We know they have the infection when they get that sick. We need to test them because if in the rare case they're negative, we can save on protective equipment and using up their space in an isolation area in the hospital. So there's a chachma to who gets tested. But what's going on, not only in Brooklyn, throughout the United States, everybody is running into these driving sites to get tested because, hey, I'm curious. I want to know. I got to know. You don't have to know. I can go. I'm a healthcare worker. I can walk into any hospital in the country right now and say, hey, I'm Dr. Dietrich. I want a COVID test. They would take out the swab and test me. I haven't gotten tested because I don't need to get tested right now. All right. Thank God. 
Uh, secondly, if someone walks into a doctor's office, because there are some doctors and, and there's certain appointments that have to be kept, obviously, at this point, and, and is handed a mask, and, you know, it's really the only mask that the patient would ever have because they don't have any masks at home. Is a mask reusable? Could someone take that mask home and wear it the next day if they go out shopping? They can. Uh, listen, we're dealing with un- non-ideal times, right? We're, we're doing things we've never done before. I'm writing drugs that are off-label. I'm giving advice I've never given before. Sure, you can reuse a mask if you have to. In the office, I have such a shortage of masks now, the N95 masks, which are the ones healthcare workers should be using, that I've been reusing the same mask for days at a time. Wow. Uh, I'm not happy about that because it's not fully protective days at a time. But I have no choice because if I went through one mask a day, uh, I would have been out of masks a week ago. Second- so I need to hold on to enough that I have enough for, for the next nine weeks. Secondly, uh, someone asks, and it's, I don't know, maybe, I mean, there's no question that's silly, when, especially when it's sincere, and I never thought of this. Someone wants to know, if they come in from outside, is it better to change their clothing uh, or be vigilant about washing clothing that was outside? What would you say? I say that if you're in a hospital, if you have to be in a hospital for some reason, you know, and you come home, yeah, you should change clothing. If you're a healthcare worker and you come home, a nurse, a doctor, you should change your clothing. If you're the average person and you went shopping, I don't see the need in changing clothing. It could be a, it's, it's a humor that maybe people can hold, <laughs> but I certainly, there's no downside to it. Understood. Uh, finally, um, uh, someone alluded to, alluded to this yesterday, and then I gave them a call to tell them that we're going to be speaking about them. Uh, tell me about the chesed that people like the Birnbaums at J Drugs are doing. Oh, Ronnie and Larry are, <laughs> I, I can't even tell you. Malachim are not... It's not a high enough term for those two people, what they have done. You know, I've seen my kids are courage organization. The amount of chesed being poured out to the kids who are isolated at home right now, I I want everybody to go to the Kids of Courage Facebook and Instagram page and see the push-up challenge that the counselors are doing for the kids and the hilarious humor that they're instilling in the lives of these children right now. The acts of chesed go on and on, you know. I said on, I posted something last night, I'm sure you saw it on Facebook, about the beautiful acts of chesed going on in our world right now. For every bad act, you know, somebody who's setting up a pop-up minion to put others at risk, there's a hundred or more good people who are doing great things. And I I can't even keep track the number of acts of chesed that I'm hearing about. Uh, People have dropped off masks at my front door. Um, you know, people calling me and saying, do you need medicine for your critically ill patients? I'll help you get the medicine. It's just on and on and on. I, I, it's, that's why I know that the Jewish world is going to solve this problem, because we are the community now that's committing those acts of chesed. And people should highlight that publicly. That's what I'm talking about when I speak to other doctors from around the country, from around the world. I spoke to a doctor in Italy two days ago. And he asked me how things are going in Brooklyn. And I said, thank God I live in the Jewish community and people are taking care of each other. And he was brought to tears because he said, I wish we had that here. I wish we had the numbers of acts of charity that you're seeing. It's not quite that way in every part of Italy. So the Italians are great people. Though I love Italy, but they don't have what we have, which is the DNA. We have the gene of chesed. And during this crisis, that's why I was upset when Jews... Uh, in our community, we're hoarding food at the first few days. I beg people, don't hoard food. You're going to make people elderly go running around looking for food. 
We're going to be exposed. So now there's, I don't see any hoarding going on in Brooklyn. People are shopping respectfully. They're mentalist to each other. They're offering people if they took one extra to offer it to somebody else. I saw that personally. So we really are the light of the world right now. And I want the world to see that light. So please keep on doing those acts of chesed. It's, it's critical right now. It, it, it's the only thing keeping me going is seeing those acts of chesed. And uh, you had mentioned to me that if there were two shout-outs you could give, it would be to J Drugs on Avenue J in Brooklyn and New Age Pharmacy, you also yeah, mentioned. Yeah, Jonathan at New Age has been incredible as well. These are these are just, uh, listen, there's many others, but Jonathan at New Age and, and Ronnie and Larry at J Drugs, these are the best of the best. There's no higher than these people. They are working 24-7, and, and they're, they're saving lives, and they should be commended for it. All right. Uh, uh, I want to just add, yeah. Nachum, one critical sure. thing, if you don't mind. Sure. There's been many questions about the use of ibuprofen with COVID. I've been asked that question. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, the first day two weeks ago when I was asked it, I said to people, there's no data, but certainly there's some concern, and I would vie on the side of caution. I then withdrew that because really uh, it was we were not sure. I'm going to put the word out shortly. There is no current data that ibuprofen is dangerous when you have um, COVID infection. The reason for the concern is that they, there was some concern in France that similar to the way aspirin reacts when children have viral syndromes, where they can get a, a, a syndrome called Rye syndrome that can cause liver disease or liver failure, there was some concern that ibuprofen would have the same effect on a COVID patient. So the French had made a statement, the French Health Ministry, that they had a concern. There have been anecdotal reports, but there's no clear data. I think right now people probably should vie on the side of caution and use acetaminophen or Tylenol only. Uh, it's not a hard rule, but I am seeing that in certain institutions, certain hospitals. Dr. Fauci himself has said, who leads the task force, and by the way, everybody should be listening to him. He's brilliant and I hope the president is listening to him. But Dr. Fauci himself has said that if he had COVID, he would take Tylenol, but he, he doesn't have any data to support it. I think until we know further, my opinion would be to hold back on using ibuprofen when you have COVID. All right. Good piece of advice. And a lot of people, as you just said, have been discussing this. Even even people like myself way out of the medical field have heard this conversation go on. Uh, Dr. Dietrich, I thank you. Um, what can I say? You're one of the people that is a voice of reason in a very, very difficult time and is uh, helping to guide people who want to listen, who want to listen yeah. and who and, want... And keep the message positive. It's gonna Things are going to look bad certain days. They'll look good certain days. The only thing I'm asking people is please don't push institutions, government... To open things up yet let it get you can get your food you get your gas uh, you know we're we have everything we need for peso already my wife has never been as prepared for peso as she is today well i don't so, think that's the concern i think the concern is people you know need to get back to work and then right, you know make economy. a living i hear it i hear it and i and i leave that to the experts i'm not an economist uh thank you dr dietrich continue your amazing work and i thank you thanks Malcolm. take care more coming up it's jm in the a.m